I'm Jackie Maguire, and this is my podcast, Mindbrew. I'm a clinical psychologist with a passion for science communication. What does that mean? It means I not so secretly love researching psychological studies, translating them into easy to understand concepts, and providing practical strategies to optimize personal well being, work, and relationships. Put simply, Mindbrew has been created to help you live the good life. On October 17th, we will all hit the polls, not only to determine who will form our next government, but to cast our vote on both the end of life choice and cannabis referendums. These referendums of past represent two significant changes to life as we currently know it. I would have assumed and well, I would have hoped that if we as the public are being asked to voice our choices on two decisions that could majorly impact the way New Zealand society operates, that there would have been ample opportunity to evenly educate ourselves on the pros and cons of each choice. I would have thought we would have been inundated with television debates, articles in the paper, social media lives, information from reputable sources, experts in their field that could provide facts on balance. If the government is asking us as a nation to decide whether these bills will be passed as law, well, I believe there is a duty of care, a duty to provide adequate knowledge so that we can all make informed, educated choices. Unfortunately, I just haven't found this to be the case. I think you have to purposefully search quite hard to find a representative sample of information. And I suppose I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? Come October 17, a large portion of our nation are likely to make decisions at the polling booth based on emotion, based on personal experiences, potentially based on incorrect information that is being spurted as truth online or through that person's social networks. And well, if you're anything like me, I don't want to participate in a legally binding referendum that will have major consequences if I'm not fully informed on every aspect of that decision. Nor do I want you making decisions about my life or my family's future life if homework hasn't gone into that decision. I get that COVID-19 has understandably dominated airtimes and distracted political and public attention, but I don't think that that means that these discussions aren't important and shouldn't be prioritised. With five weeks until election day, well, I wanted to host an unbiased, evidence-based discussion on the end-of-life choice bill to help you and me, to be honest, make a decision when I get into that polling booth. This episode features Dr Mikhail Rico. Miguel is an assistant professor and research coordinator at the Department of Social and Health Sciences of the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Porto. Did you get that? <laughs> Miguel, assistant professor, research coordinator in Porto. He's the president of the Ethics Commission of the Portuguese Order of Psychologists, and he's the founder of the European platform Wish to Die which is a platform that brings together health professionals like psychologists and psychiatrists to discuss euthanasia. He's a member of the Man Ethics Research Group of the Centre of Health Technology and Services Research, and he has authored several scientific articles in his main fields of research, 
including bioethics, professional ethics, sexual education, and abortion. In 2019, he co-authored a study published in the European Psychologist, arguing that psychologists must play a key role in the evaluation of the wish to die. Before you listen to this episode, I'd highly recommend that you take the time to read the End of Life Choice Bill. Familiarise yourself with the proposed act and the languages used so that when you listen to this episode, it should hopefully eliminate the need to push pause and Google terminology. There's a link to the bill in the show notes. I also want to acknowledge Dr. Rico's strong Portuguese accent. To begin with, you may find yourself working quite hard to comprehend what he's saying, but trust me, it won't take long to acclimatise. It's kind of like going to a subtitled movie. At the start of the film, you really notice the need to read the words, but a few minutes in, that completely disappears as you immerse yourself in the story. Lastly, it's extremely important to me that you know as a listener that I'm not entering this episode with a predetermined judgment on the end-of-life choice bill. In fact, to be honest with you, I feel as though I can relate to points of view from both the yes and no camps. And as Miguel so insightfully informs me, my confusion reflects the tension of New Zealand trying to have a polarised yes or no discussion on end of life when euthanasia, quite frankly, is not a subject that can be simply polarised. I believe all the discussion about euthanasia is in the wrong way since the beginning, because it's like a very dichotomized discussion, if I, I can express myself this way. It's right or wrong? Yeah, it's right or wrong. It's yes or no. It's about the sanctity of life, you see. So there is in one side people say, no, we can't uh, take of the life of anyone because we are not allowed to do them. So life should be like a sacred value, the most important value. And in the other side, there's other people say, no, it's just up to the people to decide. It's their life. So anyone can decide about this own death and that's it. And both sides are, of course, wrong. There is no sacred values in our societies because our societies are not religious. So we have religion, but societies are not religious at least in the, our occidental world. So you can't say that any value is sacred or it's more important than any other values because everyone are different. So everyone express himself about their own differences. So you can't impose a sacred life like a, a value. It's more important than any other one. So, and it's kind of weird because everyone knows if a terrorist came into a room and starts shooting people, we'll be happy for someone to shoot the terrorist before <laughs> before we get in killed. So we're not putting life in a sacred position that way. So mm -hmm. there is for everyone an option, uh, a circumstance, a situation, then you will say, no, no, this is not sacred in this way. So other value will be more important than this one. So this is a wrong thing. And this is also a wrong thing to say. So it's a question of autonomy and everyone uh, should choose for what he wants because we don't accept suicide in the first side. And of course, there is some rational suicides in life and you don't accept it. And we can discuss it because the connection, we should make the connection on. And of course, 
will not accept to kill someone for any reason or any kind of suffering. As I understood in, in New Zealand, you are discussing just the euthanasia for people who have a terminal disease who get killed uh, presumably in six months. Correct. So everyone who wants to kill himself wants to die. And with this kind of diagnosis, we will not be able to do in the same way. So it's not a question of autonomy. And we know, as psychologists, I believe, more than other people, that people are not so autonomous as we sometimes we say. So we're always changing our mind about things. So we're always thinking wrong about things. And the, the only thing it's not a big problem to make our own choices, it's so you always can regret yourself and make another turn in your life. So it's not important if you choose to go left because tomorrow you can go right. And of course, with dying, it's not uh, the same thing because it's a definitive thing. So it's a more important uh, choice. So, of course, it's not a question just of autonomy. We live in society and, of course, our decisions have implications with other ones' lives. So we have to try to make decisions that, of course, they are important for us, but they are not harm from other people. So... When you put the discussion in these two sides, it's impossible to get like a consensus because you're taking part from wrong premises and that they are wrong. Life is not a sacred value and autonomy is not the more important value about health professionals. It's one of our principles and it's impossible to get a connection with these two sides. Miguel's reflection is like a light bulb moment for me. Euthanasia, ending someone's life, is too complex an issue to be boiled down into a right or wrong debate. Our personal views, our personal experiences, morals, values, religious beliefs will all influence our viewpoint, making it very difficult and while I wonder if near impossible to be open-minded, clear and rational when it comes to our vote on the end-of-life choice bill. It's also made me question whether a referendum is the right decision-making process on an issue as important as life. Are we as human beings capable of casting an objective vote to benefit all of society? I believe you're making a referendum. It's, I believe, the first one in the world, a referendum about euthanasia. I was always here against the referendum because... I always said, if the politicians, if people who decide and should be informed about the things, they know so less about this problem, people in general, they will know nothing. Mm. But I think that's the case here, Miguel. Yeah, of course. People will, will decide about their personal experiences. And my personal experience is not the better thing for other people because my personal experience, I leave it in my way. And uh, yes, I had a, a person in my family which suffered a lot in the end of life. So I don't want this for other people. So I vote yes for euthanasia. But this is not a decision for the good of society. We have to think about euthanasia, about an important thing to be more fair in our society to avoid suffering and uh, suffering, a terrible suffering, the end of life sometimes. And so, of course, you have to make a law and to make a decision that is the best thing for everyone or for most, most of people. At least when it's done by politicians, they have to justify the decisions and they are making and take responsibilities about 
and they can tomorrow change if it's not a good thing. You see? Because when it's people deciding, ah, it was a referendum, and 51% of the people decided it's a yes, and that's it, and this is the responsibility you have about it. So I suppose given the fact that on October 17th we will be in that voting booth, we will be making a decision on a binding referendum, I asked Miguel, how the heck do we have thoughtful, accurate discussions about euthanasia? Where do we even start to clearly educate ourselves or to have an in-depth thought process when it comes to your decision on October 17th? We have to try to discuss, first thing, the way to evaluate the wish to die decision. That's the most important thing, I believe. We don't know nothing about wish to die in an euthanasia uh, context. We know a lot about wish to die in suicide. I have a, a group, we call it uh, Wish to Die European Platform, it's a group of researchers who are making research in this area because, as I told you before, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. The first work we've made, it was like a, a meta-analysis, no, a, a research just for papers in psychology and euthanasia, and we'll find like 17 in the world, mm -hmm. you see. So there's nothing. There's no studies about the way people can improve, the wish to die can improve or not during an euthanasia process, you see? So it's weird. And I believe it's kind of the result of this dichotomization of the discussion. It's weird. Research psychologists, they never interest themselves to study the things there is. Does that blow your mind as much as it blows mine? That a global thought leader on euthanasia is clearly stipulating that our evidence-based knowledge on euthanasia, specifically people's decision-making process regarding why they want to die by euthanasia, is almost non-existent. I mean, 17 case studies that met their criteria in their meta-analysis, the research paper that Miguel released in 2019. You know, I think you could find more research papers on why people prefer Marmite over Vegemite. And yet this is a topic, an issue that we are being asked to, as a nation, make a decision that will distinctly impact people's lives based on 17 research papers. And I suppose what Miguel and his team are acknowledging is that there is a far greater pool of data available on people's wish to die by suicide than euthanasia. And as a team, this is where they've decided to start looking, you know, a as a beginning point. Most people who have a wish to die in suicide, a suicidal ideation, they will not die by suicide. So they will change mind during their life about this wish to die. The study says that in the first two years, there is a big probability of changing minds about the wish to die. Even mm -hmm. someone who is very rational, is very determined about killing himself or herself, probably he will change mind. That's why we as health professionals, we never accept the decision of someone to kill himself. Absolutely. We know that so many people have ideation that doesn't equal action. Yes, there is no connection about suicide. So, you know, probably this person will improve and will change mind about his idea of killing himself. Of course, after two years, there is 
less uh, changes about this idea. But that's why when you're talking with someone who wants to commit suicide, you always tell him, I can't support your idea because, as my science say, you will change mind, even if you can't believe we'll change mind in some time. Of course, there are people who are not changing mind and they still want to kill themselves. Mm. So we know there are people who want to kill themselves in suicide, but we have no studies, any of it, about euthanasia. The first thing that's what we are trying to do now, it's to try to see how many people who asked from euthanasia changed their minds. You have some figures about the suicide, when people mm -hmm. ask for assisted suicide. Most of them, it's in the, in the United States, in the, the several states of the United States, they don't have euthanasia, they just have assisted suicide. What's the difference, Miguel, between euthanasia and assisted suicide? Euthanasia, it's the doctor or the nurse, most of countries is a doctor, who are helping you to kill yourself. Right? They will give you the medication or anything to kill yourself. It's a doctor. With assisted suicide, the doctor gives you the medication and you go home, or you can stay in the hospital, but most of the times you go home to your family and you take the medication there. And like 30% of the people who goes, make all the process in most of the states of the United States, it will be like in, in the New Zealand, as I saw, the two doctors will say, yes, you accomplish the requirements and okay, I give you the medication. People goes home and about 30%, they don't take the medication after all. Mm. See, they just have the medication there. We call it they just have the medication there, then they don't take it and they die after this is. And do we know why? Or oh, that's a mystery too? Again, there's not uh, studies, case studies about these people, people talking with them. There's not, I believe it's difficult to do it. Most of people say like, for me, it was important to know if I wanted, it was there and I could do it. Sense of control. The idea of control, yeah. I have the control to do it, and then I'm okay with the situation. If I want, I can use it. And another strange and not funny but curious thing, most of countries where you have euthanasia, you have assisted suicide, okay? So in the country, we just have assisted suicide, just assisted suicide, and of course people go after assisted suicide. But in the countries... We have euthanasia and assisted suicide, you can choose. Like just 1% of person ask for assisted suicide. 99% mm. ask for euthanasia. Why do you think that is? I have no uh, closed answers, of course, but I believe it's uh, a lot to the person to feel that this is part of the disease so the euthanasia, it's like the last treatment, yes, and it's done by the doctor and is not killing himself. It's not mm -hmm. committing suicide, you see? So it's kind of in the context of my doctor-patient relationship. And of course, because in some way, euthanasia will be more safe. If something goes wrong, if I don't take the pills in the correct way, I don't have the doctor there. So if I'm in the hospital, it's more safe. 
and I'm more confident that I will not suffer and it will be an easy process. So the fact is, most of people ask for euthanasia and not for assisted suicide. So the idea of the control just get down. But you know that at least 30% of the people who ask for assisted suicide, they will not kill themselves. And of course, in countries where we have euthanasia, you have 99% asking for euthanasia, and of course, they will not regret. Well, how do we know? We don't know if they'll regret or not because they've passed away. Yeah, of course. But you have the obligation to understand that there are some of these people, I don't know if it will be 30%, 20%, 50% or 60%, but some of the people they will change their mind, you see? Mm-hmm. So if you do nothing about it, just people ask it, you go to the law, you accomplish the criteria, so you give him euthanasia. If you just do that, so obeying the autonomy thing, you are making mistakes uh, with some people, that's for sure. As you sit and reflect on what Miguel has just said, describing the difference between assisted suicide and euthanasia, where assisted suicide is when the individual carries out the final act on their own compared to euthanasia, where a medical professional will end somebody's life in the final process. As you consider those stats, that 99% of people with the choice of euthanasia or assisted suicide will choose euthanasia, uh, but those that only have an assisted suicide choice, 30% of those will never complete. As you sit and kind of hold all of that information in your mind, I just want to remind you about our Act, our End of Life Choice Act here in New Zealand, and what our Act specifically uh, stipulates. So in our law, it's written, the purpose of this Act is to give persons who have a terminal illness and who meet certain criteria the option of lawfully requesting medical assistance to end their lives. And then when you look at what does an assisted dying classify as uh, in the terminology of this act, says A, the administration by an attending medical practitioner or an attending nurse practitioner of medication to the person to relieve that person's suffering by hastening death. So that A, assisted dying by administration by an attending medical practitioner, is what Miguel is talking about as euthanasia. But there is a B, assisted dying is also classified in our act as a self-administration by the person of medication to relieve their suffering by hastening death. Therefore, our act, the End of Life Choice Act, does include euthanasia and assisted suicide. So when you look at the fact of Miguel's stats and the fact that our bill has included in it euthanasia and assisted suicide. The central question to Miguel's research seems to be then, how can we find out whether the individuals who opt for euthanasia would or would not have adapted to their suffering? For example, would there be a group of people in that class of those that choose to die by euthanasia Would they have changed their mind? Would they have adapted to their situation? Would they have adapted to their suffering? And that's the question, really, Miguel's team continues to ask. That's the problem, I believe, about this. It's trying to figure out, and I believe the discussion should be here, if this wish 
expressed by the person, I want to die, I don't want to live anymore in this situation. If this wish will improve, like in suicide sometimes, and the person will be adapted and will be happy to continue living, you see, or uh, this wish will not improve and the person will be like stuck in this suffering and mm. they will not be able to adapt him or herself to the situation and he will continue suffering. I totally believe, as we see like the work of medical doctors or any other health professionals, that if you were totally sure that the person will not improve, will not adapt to the situation and will be suffering till the end, it is the obligation of the health professional to help the person to die. I'm totally believing in, in that. In previous media interviews, Miguel has commented that one of the most difficult decisions for a health professional to make is to know if euthanasia is of the best interest of the patient. In other words, to know if a patient wishing to die is actually making an informed and definite decision, and if that decision represents indeed his or her best interests. Psychologists, he says, surely would be the best qualified professionals to do that, revealing that psychologists must therefore play a key role in the evaluation of somebody's wish to die in, in their euthanasia proposal. However, what Miguel has spoken about is even in countries where euthanasia is legal, psychologists are not being called upon to intervene or not being called upon as a mandatory part of the euthanasia process. So in, in the Belgian law, they talk about the idea of getting a psychologist to evaluate just for making evaluation about competency, which is, of course, not the, the way we should uh, think about the role of psychologists. So in, in all the other legislations, there is not a word about psychology. So it's kind of weird if we are talking about evaluating a wish to die, desire of a person, you putting psychology out of it. And I believe psychologists also have their fault because they didn't take this, this subject and try to study. How can you understand this if, and this for me, it's very important if you're making a, a law in euthanasia, people should discuss this with someone who can help him to think about all the pitfalls mm. you have in this difficult subject. A neutral sounding board to help open you up to all the implications, consequences, thought processes that need to go into that decision. You ask him people, you give him them the responsibility to decide about if I want to Aston my dad or not. You see? It should be a terrible decision in a terrible moment of your life because it's the final. And they are asking you to decide this alone or just talking, I don't know, with your families and your friends. You should talk with this with someone who, in fact, can help you to think about all the different perspectives you can have about this subject. And I don't like the word mandatory, of course, but it should be because you can't oblige someone to go to see a psychologist, but it should be very important. Well, I think that's okay, is it not, Miguel? I mean, if you're going to choose yeah. to 
commit euthanasia to end your life, that's part of the process. You have to discuss it. If I was a medical doctor and say, you should go to see a psychologist to discuss this decision with him, and the person will say to me, no, I don't want to discuss the decision with anyone, I will say, how can't you discuss a decision like this? You should discuss. Everything is important to you, very important to you. You should discuss it. You want to discuss it with someone you trust, as someone we are not trying to influence yourself in any way. He just wants to talk with you about this decision. I believe this should be very important. For me, this is my third main takeaway from my conversation with Miguel, that I think I truly do honestly believe that if somebody is making a wish to die, if they are applying to die by euthanasia, that there should be a part of that process in which an individual is able to soundboard and talk to a neutral person. Not that the psychologist should be the all-governing say on whether that person goes through with euthanasia or not, but simply provides them with a space where somebody is posing questions to them that they may not have considered, or where we can ensure that person is able to voice their view without potentially being surrounded by family or friends that may be influencing their decision. And I suppose I'm quite surprised when you compare this end-of-life choice bill with other laws that we have in place. So when you look at the law around abortion that came into place also this year, it was passed in the House, that law says that a medical practitioner must encourage the person to discuss their wish with other family members, friends and or counsellors. That's not mandatory and that's pretty similar to the end-of-life choice bill. But compare that to fertility treatment where if somebody is going through fertility treatment, which involves donor eggs, sperm or embryos, so they're going through IVF, counselling is mandatory. And I think as a psychologist, I find this interesting that when somebody is making a personal decision to actively go through a process to bring life into the world, counselling is mandatory. But if somebody is making a decision to end their life, then it only has to be encouraged rather than a mandatory part of the process. I think another question or debate topic that often comes up in relation to euthanasia is if we pass this law in New Zealand, which Miguel has in our discussion labelled quite a traditional or quite a rigid law in terms of it only lends itself to people that have a terminal illness that will die within six months, will in time this become a starting point? Will in time this become a slippery slope? Will this law open the floodgates to more liberal or wider criteria around euthanasia? And so I thought it was really important to put that question to Miguel. I believe it's, uh, it's, it's totally probably. It will improve, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Because as I was saying before, you will not have arguments to say that this person who have a terminal ill is suffering more than a person who have not a terminal ill in six months, mm-hmm. but is facing a situation like you have a car crash, is lying in a bed with ventilation, or someone who have a brain problem like a, a navy c mm. you see and uh, it's laying in the bed not uh, responding to nothing mm. why you should keeping him alive 
the big discussion in the countries there is euthanasia now, it's the euthanasia for mentally ill. One of the things that's in our law in Portugal, and I believe the few things I, I read about here law, that ah, people shouldn't have a mental disease, mm-hmm. which is always a kind of a weird and difficult thing because uh, what is the diagnosis of depression? <laughs> How can you do it? It's not uh, zero or one. This is mm-hmm. not white or black. Oh, I have a depression. No, it is not a depression. It's not the way it is. It's a clinical diagnosis. And most of people will be depressed in this part of life because mm-hmm. they are, of course, in a very difficult situation and they have that for sure, depressive symptoms. So it's very difficult you know, and uh, there is a connection between depression and suicide, but the idea of being depressed, you can't put it in uh, a zero one. He has a depression, he can't do mm-hmm. it. So there's, there's a depression because it will be always subjective, the diagnosis, and people don't know it, the politicians don't know it, and so we're acting like we're just uh, a disease like any other one, like you put it, you have a virus, and that's it. <laughs> it's a yes, or you have a virus, it's a no. And, and this is stupid. And the most discussion now, are all, all over the countries who have already euthanasia, it's about to making a law. And this is always, it is happening in the Netherlands and Belgium already. And now there's a big discussion in Canada. They are trying to change the law. And it's a very recent law. They have the law since uh, 2018. And they are now discussing the law to put the mentally ill able to ask for euthanasia. For those of you that may not have read uh, what laws are present in other countries, I just wanted to provide you with a summary really around which countries uh, have access to euthanasia versus assisted suicide and what is the criteria that needs to be met. So when you look at euthanasia in its singular form, it's legal in the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada and Colombia. When you look at assisted suicide, that's legal in Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada and Colombia. In terms of the age requirements and and comparing that to our proposed law, in Luxembourg, the age is over 18, the same as in Canada. But for Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium and Colombia, that age is much younger. In the Netherlands, the age requirement is 12. In Colombia, the age requirement is six. And in Switzerland and Belgium, there is no age requirement. And then when you look at the symptom state, what are the requirements from somebody suffering, as Miguel would say? In the Switzerland, there is no symptom state. In Belgium, you can apply for euthanasia uh, if you have an unbearable mental or physical suffering. In Luxembourg, it's an incurable condition which does not stipulate mental or physical with constant unbearable suffering and no prospect of improvement. So as you look across the world, as you compare this with our Act, it would seem to appear that the New Zealand End of Life Choice Act in its current state is quite narrow compared to some other countries that have passed both euthanasia and assisted suicide. 
But I think what was very interesting for me was to look at these countries that have legislated for children to apply for uh, death by euthanasia or assisted suicide and those that have also included mental illness. I'm sure you, like me, have lots swirling around in your mind as you calibrate the information that Miguel has shared with us, whether that's around how you have a discussion on euthanasia when it is quite a polarising discussion uh, in the life is sacred versus you need autonomy discussion, when you think about suicide versus euthanasia, when you look at the role psychologists play or don't play uh in the euthanasia decision-making process, when you look at how does euthanasia become normalised in countries that pass original bills and how might this expand. And so as you just sit and weigh up all of that information for yourself, here are Miguel's concluding remarks. It's very difficult for me to say something for New Zealanders who are voting a yes or no in this Mm. subject. For myself, if I was voting, I will not vote for anything because I believe we should look not for your conscience, not for your what you are feeling is correct. You should look for, you believe it's better for everyone. That's mm. the decision you should take in, in a situation like this. And you should ask for people to invest a lot more in helping people making these decisions Mm. more than the idea to help someone to kill himself or herself which i understand and i can agree in some situations of course it's very important to get someone to help people to making these decisions Mm. people shouldn't let alone making these decisions Mm. and i believe these laws are just taking and saying to us that this is up to you you should decide if you want to continue Mm. living with a terrible disease a terrible problem but also you have another solution for you you can choose to die Mm. and then you just have to say me what you want me to do no People should discuss this a lot mm. with people who can help him, who can understand them, who can discuss with them why they are thinking in some direction or another direction. And of course, after that, it's the, what the person wants uh, because we believe that he is not able to adaptate him or herself mm. to some situation. Of course, I believe it's the obligation of a health professional to help people in their suffering. And if the only solution is to kill the person, of course, you can do it. We should try to diminish the band of error you can have in this evaluation. And I'm very afraid that uh, if you don't uh, lose time in the process of decision making, we'll have a lot of involuntary euthanasia, which is to say a lot of people are getting killed when, in fact, they don't want to Mm. kill themselves. They just ask it because it was the moment of their life. I'm Jackie Maguire, and that brings me to the end of this Mindbury episode, a discussion with thought expert Dr. Miguel Rico on the psychology of euthanasia. It was my hope that this episode provided New Zealanders with a balanced discussion on some key issues integral to the end of life choice bill. 
I sincerely thank you for taking the time to listen and for doing your homework before you cast your vote on October 17. Please share this episode with your network. I think the more people that we can have listening and researching euthanasia before they vote, the better. And please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review on Mindbrew. It's so very appreciated. Thank you and hopefully I see you again.